Reitman University. The Wandering Jew Podcast. Exploring beautiful humans, thoughts, and experiences with Naomi Edelman. You're listening to Audioversity. I would like to welcome you all to the Wandering Jew Podcast, Salt Lake City Edition. I'm your host, Naomi Edelman. I thank you for joining me on this journey to explore the diverse experiences of humans. I would like to welcome a very important person from my life, Ms. Katherine Fosberg from Salt Lake City, Utah. She is a former student of Reichland University and now is studying data analytics and computer science at Utah State University. Welcome to this beautiful human, Kat Fosberg. Thank you so much. It's so wonderful to be here and I'm really glad that I'm having the opportunity to talk with you today. And I love that you're here in Salt Lake City to experience everything here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's really cool to see your life and like you start to see people as, especially like in university and Israel where everyone was coming from all over the world. You just see them as individuals and then to like really see their context, it totally makes you understand them on a like totally different levels. So I'm really grateful and I'm excited to be here too. I'm so glad that you are. I love the fact that you flew all the way out here. (laughs) I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. Um, Okay, I want to start off this um, conversation with a question from my previous guest, Ezra Snoogle. He wanted to know, what is your favorite Jewish text? Well, as you're going to hear it later on in this episode, I'm not Jewish. Right. So I'm going to take it. That's why it's such a funny question for you. Exactly. So I'm going to take it from a different point of view, and I'm going to say, like, my favorite Jewish author um, and philosopher, I guess you could also say. Yeah. And my favorite text is uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And I think it was just a really um, eye-opening book to read. He talks a lot about the human experience and how people's psychology impacts um, them in really difficult situations like being in concentration camps and how it just changes from person to person. He was talking about how, you know, people who went into the concentration camps with a really uh, optimistic mindset and they're saying, you know, Mm -hmm. by this time we're going to be Like, this is all going to be over and it's going to be done and, you know, we're going to be perfectly fine. Then when that came to pass and they still weren't able to leave, you know, they were still going through all this hardship. mm -hmm. They lost faith and they were the ones that died really quickly because of that. And then the other people who were maybe you could say a bit more pessimistic, but also just weren't as as like, oh, it, it's going to happen by this point. It's going to happen by this point. They were able to adapt and survive through such a d- difficult and horrible experience. And so he talks a lot about things like that um, and his experience personally um, and how he got through it and his mentality. And then just also a study of the people that he was around in such a horrible situation. Wow. So. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. I never actually read that book, but it's on my list. I know it's like a, a must read for sure. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. So I guess like when they had a specific timeline or a deadline and then it didn't like come to pass, mm-hmm. then they 
lost faith. So what was the, the grit that other people had? Like what was the mindset that other people had or that he had that helped him overcome that? Mm, a good question. I I read it a few years ago. So, you know, it's not, I'm not I don't have it's the not best fresh, memory. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But I'm pretty sure he was talking about how it, he held on for the hope that he would see his family again. He was well, think about mm-hmm. his wife a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe he she ended up dying during the Holocaust. So it was really interesting oh, how he was, he was holding on his hope mm-hmm. of seeing his wife again. And I'm pretty sure during a big chunk of when he was holding on to that, she had already passed away. Wow. Um, and wow. so he, he was basically, he was talking about his love for his, the people in his life and yeah. his desire to see them again. Um, and I thought that that was really powerful. And it just goes to show that, you know, if you're, if you're expressing your emotions in a really harmful, like self, selfish way, like not, I mean everybody, everybody there has gone through a lot, but right, right. but it, they seem to express them out. It was like the yeah, hope of, interesting, of yeah. you know, this is gonna be, I'm gonna be able to see these people again instead of I'm gonna get out of here soon i'm gonna you know it was the time and the hope of getting out for other people that were their downfall whereas the people who were able to get through it were it was the hope of the seeing the people they loved and then um, finding that again and it wasn't necessarily it was just slightly different like it was just a slightly different mindset yeah. yet it was a huge difference um in the outcome in people's mentality and you know obviously everybody was going through a very similar thing but they all dealt with it in such different ways yeah so for sure well that's so interesting yeah it's cool I think like one of the reasons why that book is so amazing is because it shows you like once everything's taken away what is actually necessary for humanity to survive Mm -hmm. and I think it's really amazing like we were talking about this yesterday that ultimately like it's those memories that you hold really dear because like Mm -hmm. he his love for her okay yes but it's also all the memories that he's holding on to that Mm -hmm. solidified that love for her and uh I don't know that's that's something really beautiful it's kind of incredible I really appreciate that that's nice yeah yeah it's a really good book it's one I have to read again just to I read it when I was in high school and so I need it I need to like re-up my my memory of exactly what's in it but I remember I I read it in one sitting, it was a time when I, weirdly enough, just decided to stay up all night and I was painting at the same time and mm-hmm. I listened to it and I have a painting in my room that is that painting that I painted while listening Whoa. to it. So Whoa. every time I look at it, I remember the con- like the context and Whoa. the fact that I was listening to Whoa. that. Whoa, that's so. beautiful. I yeah. love that. That's really cool. I like that a lot. Yeah. Okay. Um, Kat, I want to talk to you a little bit about your high school experience and your background. Mm-hmm. I remember when we were in Israel and you asked me, you were applying for Tamid, oh, right? Yes. And you asked me to read over your resume. And I <laughs> you're younger than me. And I remember reading over it and I was just like floored by how many things <laughs> you managed to do and accomplish in high school. Mm. And it was just so incredible and I want to talk to you a bit about that and like also the other day when we were talking to your parents about all the different sports that you did it was just oh, like an yes. endless list of things yeah <laughs> so I want to ask you about first of all like what do you think that 
doing all those activities taught you? And also, can mm-hmm. you list all of them? Like right. all the yeah. extracurriculars <laughs> that you did? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I guess I'll start with listing them because I feel like that makes more sense. And then we can go sure. into yeah, kind of yeah. what they what they mean. I I started, I would say, well, I guess we can go in chronological order. So I did dance as the first thing that I ever remember doing. So I did like jazz, you know, in my little, you know, as a little toddler, I remember so like, sweet, yeah. you know, tapping around the classroom and having yeah. a grand old time. And then I stopped doing that and we started doing swim lessons. And so I started swimming at a really young age, um, which I still do now and I still really enjoy. Um, and then I transitioned into doing gymnastics, which I didn't mention the other day. Yeah. Um, and then we uh continued doing that for a little bit and then we did a ton of summer camps which were you know shorter uh stints of things so I tried soccer for a little bit yeah yeah um by we you mean you and your twin brother yes I twin brother yeah so we as in we were both doing it at the same time yeah um Obviously, he didn't do gymnastics or dance, but, you know, that was... It's true. It's, <laughs> it, 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 like, questioned his masculinity yeah. <laughs> too hard. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, in middle school, I did cross-country, and I did a little bit of track. Um, and then I also con- uh, continued my swimming and was on the swim team. Um, I also tried fencing for the first time. And I remember being super frustrated because it's one of those things that people start when they're younger than I was at that time. Uh, okay. And so, like, the little kids in the room were beating me, and I thought that was super annoying. Oh, yeah, 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 <laughs> um, for sure. And then I, I danced again for a little bit in middle school. Um, and then when I was 14, at the tail end of middle school, I started doing Krav Maga. Um, actually, even before that, I did boxing. Um at a very random place in Seattle. Um, and then we transitioned into doing Krav Maga. Um, and then I did Krav Maga for four years. Oh, I also forgot, I did lacrosse. So lacrosse was like my big sport. And, uh, you know, I, I went through all these things and then I, I finally found something that I really loved doing. And that was lacrosse. And I started that early middle school. I ended up doing that for five years. Um, and then I, during that time period, you know, early high school, I did a summer camp for rowing. Uh, so crew, I don't know, you know, some people, a lot of people call it a different, different things. Um, and then I did water polo one summer as well, because a cousin of mine is a very good water polo player. And, you know, she always would talk so much about how wonderful Mm -hmm. it was. I was telling Naomi the other day that I, I didn't play the entire season. <laughs> I was literally on the side the entire time up until like the last two minutes of the last game and they finally put us in. So that goes to show how good I was. <laughs> um, um, and then, yeah, and so I continued doing lacrosse all the way through high, uh, not all the way through high school, like halfway through high school. Um, and then I did Krav Maga all the way through high school um, for four years. And then... Uh, and then COVID hit and then kind of everything went kaput there but um, yeah so I did a lot of I did a lot of sports I was really active and I loved the diversity of what I was able to do Um, and that that goes across my entire life my my family and my parents are very supportive in that respect you know yeah, getting you to try a bunch yeah. of different things okay so I counted like 11 different activities yeah um, that's insane <laughs> uh 
yeah, so what did those things teach you about yourself? And what do you think it is about people that we want to do excellent things with our bodies? Like, why is that specifically something that's attractive to us? It's a really good question. Um, I think that uh, there's... I feel like there's mental goals and then there's physical goals, right? And yeah. I feel like it's one thing to achieve a goal with your mind and it's something very different to achieve a goal with your body. So you're you're you have drive in both instances, but you're doing it's different. Like you when you're actually forcing yourself to run, you're yeah. forcing yourself to, you know, you're out of breath, you're sweaty, you're Cuz there's know, also a mental pain. element to that as right. well. Yeah. It's 100% mental as well it's it's not the same type of mental mental uh, mental work that you have to do in an academic setting but it's it's in my mind even more impressive because your your brain is forcing your body to do something even pushing through pain yeah pushing through adversity um and that was a lot of what like Krav Maga was I you know I think Krav Maga uh, in addition to all the other extracurriculars I did was very influential in me building my confidence and building the way I walk and the way I talk and the way I interact with people because I, you know, I, before that I wasn't confident. I mean, I, you know, we could say that I was perhaps more confident than other people, but I just, it, you had, you build a confidence in yourself knowing that you can protect yourself, knowing how to deal with hard situations where people, you know, potentially want to hurt you. Um, and it was a lot of like mental training and building and it came into my life at a really good time. Yeah. It's like going through high school also when that's like your confidence is kind of shot. Right. Yeah. No. And, and it really, during a time when everybody else's confidence was waning, mine was increasing exponentially through all of the things that I was doing. And it was just a really good thing for me to do. And I was hanging out with adults. Yeah. Um, we were the youngest people by like. 10 years at the gym that we went to yeah, yeah. because we were the only ones that came in during a very specific time when they had a kids program um, and we were the only ones from that kids program who ended up going into the adult classes mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. so we were just constantly hanging out with adults and like punching them and you know practicing chokeholds it was just like the yes. weirdest experience but it, it, well, it made it so you grew confidence in yourself and you're not around a bunch of also not confident people in high school like the the idea that you know you're improving and um around more mature people and it it was just it was a really well it's that's amazing yeah because it touches so many different facets and it's something that surprises me always with with the physical aspect like physical challenges and physical sports and things like that is it really overflows into other areas of your life like when you're working out let's say like I never did that much you know that many organized sports like that but Mm -hmm. like if I work out I notice how it affects other areas of my life and how it builds discipline and like this mental challenge this mental battle that you have with yourself to like push yourself to go and like for you guys it's also interesting because maybe maybe a, a portion of why it was increasing your your confidence was because like once you're in high school I feel like you start to get the thing that you're focusing on the most is the social aspects and you're Mm. trying to figure out where you stand socially and you forget a lot of other areas of life that are challenging. And I think you guys were battling with the most fundamental, basic, like physical, you know, Mm. threats Mm -hmm. that it was able to build your confidence, maybe put things in perspective. Like I remember you telling me that 
you and your your twin were telling me that you know they had a simulation where they 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 rented out a van and you they like practiced kidnapping you and then Mm -hmm. like how you would get out of those situations like that's real life that's so hardcore you know at 15 yeah (laughs) that's super random yeah but yeah no it it really it really made a really strong impact on us and yeah I have no doubt that we are very different than what we would have been otherwise just because of that opportunity and all of the adults that were in that program uh, teaching us, we, you know, just had a lot of really interesting experiences that you would never have, you know, handgun defense, you know, active shooter stuff. It was just, you know, they had a women's class where they were talking about women's self-defense. And so, you know, there was just a lot of, a lot of really good information and confidence. So and, cool. Like, it was just fun. Okay. It's something I really want to do. Like, I really think it's so important and I like took karate when I was 10 or whatever yeah. like, oh, whatever what do you actually learn and I showed you the like three yeah. things I remember yeah. <laughs> and, and one of them is important right. and actually you told me yeah. that that was valuable like how right. you twist your wrist to the if somebody grabs your wrist then you go and you want to get out of the wrist grab then you go to their weakest point of contact which is like between their fingers and that's where you pull right. and you pull towards yourself and that's like actually kind of smart but that's pretty much the only thing I remember but mm-hmm. it is you do feel a little bit like a chump walking around and you're yeah. like, like the audacity that I'm walking around thinking like I hope everything's fine like no you want to know yeah. how to do something or defend yourself you know yeah. so it's something that I'll take with me for the rest of my life and yeah that I'll be confident I'll have confidence from for the rest of my life which yeah. is just really nice to think about yeah that's amazing that's amazing I love that you also did a bunch of other stuff though you did like civil Uh, air patrol yeah and now you have this major obsession with planes I do yes uh, yeah yeah I want to talk about that a bit sure yeah so outside of sports which no matter like what it sounds like that was a very small amount of my life Mm -hmm. I uh I in high school I was in ASB so I was in leadership um, and so that took up a, you know, a small amount of time. And then what is that? Uh, uh, associate student body. So like okay, the leadership, they put on all the dances. They do the assembly. At, at your high school. Yeah, okay, exactly. Got it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was part of that. And I really enjoyed, uh, like, the spirited aspect of it. You know, you're working as a team. Um, nice, and nice. that was really enjoyable. And then uh, when I was freshman year of high school, I went to seafair for the first time i believe and or the it was the first seafair that i remember and what's seafair yeah yeah is in when in seattle uh it's a summer celebration basically and it's when they have a bunch of it's a big air show and they close off the floating bridge that's in seattle across lake washington and a bunch of people go on to it and they invite a lot of really great uh aerobatic pilots to come perform and so in recent years they've had helicopter pilots and they've had um, a lot of just really great uh, pilots do in their in, in their planes just doing really cool stuff they had an osprey at one point that hovered and dropped a bunch of people out the back That's onto crazy. like a floating platform on the on the on the water <laughs> and so Part of that was they had the Blue Angels come out, and the Blue Angels are the American naval aviators who do air show performances. And so they're seen as some of the best aerobatic pilots in the United States because not only are they 
fighter pilots, but they're naval pilot, they're they're naval aviators, which means that generally they have a bit more uh, flexibility and capability in regards to landing on aircraft carriers. Mm. Um, and so it's you know it takes a bit more dexterity, and that's why you see like Top Gun Maverick as you know it's like the best school, uh, or Top Gun being the school in that. Uh, having the best pilots come out of it because mm-hmm. they're naval aviators. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, anyway, and so I saw them perform, and I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna go be a fighter pilot, and <laughs> like that's that's just gonna be what's gonna happen. And yeah. so um, I was like obsessed with planes that summer, and my dad had been in a program when he was younger called Civil Air Patrol, and that was a uh, United States Air Force auxiliary program. So uh, you know it's it's technically part of the military, but it's a volunteer service. It's a civilian volunteer service, part of the military. So it's, you know, it's, you wear the uniform, you wear a version of the uniform, I should say, and you have a lot of different things that you go do. And the core values of that are volunteer service, aerospace education, Mm -hmm. and emergency services. And so a lot of people go into it to do search and rescue stuff. A lot of people go into mm-hmm. it just to volunteer for their community. Yeah. I went into it for the aerospace education. And while I was in Civil Air Patrol for the, fir- for the four years, I did so many things. I was, I was very involved um, in the program. And I was able to learn how to fly gliders before I was when I was 15. And it's then, so cool that you can fly planes, <laughs> cat. Like that's so wild. Like, I, I'm yeah, no, it's really enjoyable. I haven't been able to fly recently, but um, and then I the next year when I was 16, I went back and I learned how to fly single engine airplanes. So a lot of the small aircraft you see in the air, um, and it was a really intense program where you go and you, you know you you a lot of the people had never even been in a plane. And in two weeks, they taught you how to fly by yourself. And by the end of the two weeks, you would solo. Um, And I, you know, I did ground school there. I passed my ground school, uh, my private pilot's ground school test. Um, And so in in addition to that, you know, I did a bunch of uh, annual exercises. They're called encampments. And basically, it's the Civil Air Patrol equivalent of basic training and so you go to yours, and then you're the little, you know, cadet being yelled at. And then nice. after you do that, you're able to work your way up through the leadership of those encampments. Um, and so I did that seven times. I went, there were two of them a year. And so I went to both of them uh, for three years. And then in addition, I went to mine. Um, so what was like the appeal of, of doing this for you? Like, why was it interesting for you? What did you love about it? Yeah, initially it was the aerospace aspect of it, and the other aspect of it was I love the leadership. I love the yeah. I I seems like always, that's a theme. In yeah, the no, I, yeah. I love being a part of a team, and I love uh, being able to uh, impact people in a positive way. Yeah, and a lot of it was teaching. I taught so many classes, and I it was a ton of recruiting as well because we had open houses every month and we actually ended up being the largest squadron west of the Mississippi because of the recruiting efforts that myself and my team did while we were there. That's so meaningful. Yeah, so it was super cool. And um, it was just, 
I loved the idea that I could take something and make it better and make it through my vision and through other people's vision help us achieve something that hadn't been done before and we succeeded we were we were a very very good squadron compared to everybody else um and that's amazing I remember you also told me that like it compared to your friends in high school you felt like you were a much more genuine version of yourself Mm. and in this in this like activity so why do you feel like there was some I don't know disingenuousness with your friends there or like what was this activity like bringing out of you that Uh, that made it feel like a lot more genuine with your friends yeah no fair question the um I would say the biggest thing is that we all in Civil Air Patrol everybody shared a very common interest everybody loved planes everybody loved uh the leadership aspect of it the teamwork aspect of it it was just common goals yeah and everybody understood like even no matter how much I explained to you or to whoever was listening what it was like and what we were doing and all of the things that I did when I was in doing it for four years you don't have any real understanding of what it was that we were doing for sure unless I were to sit down and like walk you through it step by step and so you're building all these wonderful intense experiences over the course of your time there yeah. and every time you add on another activity or another extra thing that you were doing the people that were at that activity get to see you in your raw form yeah, your, yeah, yeah. you know you're getting up at five o'clock in the morning four thirty in the morning to get out on the tarmac to learn how to fly a plane in two weeks that's such a different environment than you'd ever find yourself in in high school yeah in a high school setting you understand people more you bond with people more because everybody's having these shared difficulties shared experiences yeah Yeah, Um, I think it's also yeah I think that's exactly what it is and like compared to high school there's a lot of I don't know it's a lot of like masks that people are trying on and starting to wear and there's Mm. so much it's so much focus on the social aspect and the social games that people are playing and like the hierarchies and where you stand and how people perceive you I feel like I just think that that was where you were exercising like your how you understand yourself socially and how Mm. you understand other people socially in a really heightened way whereas this it was tied down to things that were raw and real and I remember your dad uh, he, I'm so grateful he gifted me this book called like how woman thinketh. There's, it's the same as like how man thinketh, right? Something yeah, like that. Yeah. And there was as a, this, as a woman thinketh. As a woman thinketh. Yeah, thank you. As a man thinketh. Yeah. Right. And in the book, he, he quoted to me this beautiful quote. I'm going to not say it verbatim, but you know, close enough that basically the situation helps reveal the person to themselves. Mm-hmm. And whereas like in, in high school, because it's all based off of social, interactions then you're not actually getting it like it's not real situations it's all like really surface and it's too it's too muddled it's too it's too non-concrete whereas this it's like really concrete real situations and you're Mm -hmm. showing yourself who you are and you're showing to other people who you are and it feels a lot more grounded I agree yeah no I 100% agree and it was a really great experience just from the standpoint of I let me uh I made goals for myself and then I like I went through you know you're not supposed to um advance as quickly as I ended up advancing and there was a really interesting idea of a lot of the people that I was around didn't like that they they thought that it was Uh, kind of like weird that I wanted to advance as quickly as I wanted to and it was I kind of joke like I I went into the squadron the first time 
to the, you know, the recruiting meeting and I walked out and I had a plan of how I wanted to command the squadron in four years. And I did, and I ended up doing it, you know, I I ended up promoting as quickly as I possibly could promote. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's all this stuff outside of school and it was just, it was just so much fun. It was Mm -hmm. so much fun being able to implement the goals that I had outside of a school system. Wow. And it really built a lot of confidence for again sure, in that sure. way to be able to succeed in a lot of the stuff that I did. So that's so amazing. Did they have really strong like nationalistic narratives and like we love America, whatever stuff like that? Like that's no, of... the actual no? organization didn't necessarily. It really truly uh, was you know, we want to teach kids how to fly. We want to teach you to love planes. We want to teach you to love mm. space. We want to teach you to, you know, know what order the planets are in in, this, in the solar system. Like, we want to teach you stuff like that. Um, but I would say generally the people that were involved in the program were very much uh, patriotic people, very much the type of people who would go in the military after yeah. this high school thing that they did. And a lot of them have... Military like say, families. Yeah, yeah. And, well, not even military families, but I would say the majority of the people I know from that time in my life are now in the military oh, at some wow. point, at, at wow. some level. Wow. So it's really interesting. A lot of them shared very common values, which again, going back to what you were talking about earlier, when you share common values, it's much easier for you to be yourself in those types of situations. Yeah, sure. Whereas in high school, the majority of people don't share common values. They're just yeah. there because they're geographically in the same area. And they don't know what their values are either. Like right. it takes them a while to figure that out where, as you guys were passionate about it from yeah. a young age. Yeah. Yeah. And confronted with it. So then that means more that the patriotic narrative came from like how you were raised in your family. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Can you tell me, like, what does it feel like to love America? Why do you love America? Why do you think it's so important? Yeah, what an interesting question. Um, I was definitely raised in a very patriotic way. Um, I, a lot of my family has been in the military. Um, I grew up hearing about, you know, 9-11 and the wars that we have fought to keep our independence and keep our freedom and help other people do the same. And so it was really important my entire life to value freedom. And I think that America, at least at its core, maybe not necessarily how it's portrayed now, embodies that freedom. And there's a lot of things that about living in America and about just, just, yeah, just being American that are very freeing compared to other things. Free press, free freedom of thought, freedom of religion, like just the freedom aspect of everything was always very embodied in how mm-hmm. I was taught. Um, and yeah, I mean, the people in my life have devoted their lives or part of their lives to protecting the people in, of America. And it was just something that was supernatural and super you know, super interesting. And we always had a somewhat of a hatred for people who are ever trying to take that away. Yeah. Um, and so I, I don't know, I, I guess that's my best answer. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's so natural. Like I've never even thought so much about why, like why it's just, I, I know that other countries don't necessarily have the freedoms that we have. Right. right. And so by contrast, it makes me appreciate what we have even more. Yeah. Um, what do, in what ways do you feel like America is not living up to its values right now? 
Uh, I think that freedom of thought and freedom of opinion and all of that and freedom of press and like everybody, everybody seems to be very frustrated um, with each other in regards to having different ideas. And I think that yeah. that's a core value of America right, is right. your freedom to have different ideas and freedom of opinion. And you you don't need to like what other people say, but you need to be able to let them say it. And yeah. I feel like there's a lot of con like conflicting thoughts in that world right now where people are saying uh you know you need to be okay with me saying this but I don't want to listen to what you have to what say, you have to say. Right. and I think that's a very contrary thing to say you know you have to it's it's one or the other you either have to say you know I want you to listen to me and I'll listen to you or I, I'm not going to listen to you and you're not going to listen to me just and, a consistent standard yeah, yeah exactly but even then I don't want it to be I don't listen to you and you don't yeah, listen to me. Yeah, you'd prefer both people get to speak. <laughs> yeah, right? both people need to get to speak their opinion. And I feel like a lot of times nowadays we have a lot of um, people not letting other people get their word in. And, you know, a lot of people shutting other people down, especially in high school. I saw that that was a thing because mm. we had the 2020 election uh, oh, and yeah. the 2018. I forget. Was it the 2018 Midterm? Election? No, it was the Trump getting elected. 2020. 2020. No, I graduated no, no, 2016. 2016. Now I was yeah, going to yeah. say I graduated <laughs> in 2020. Yeah. No, 2016. Yeah. Like that whole thing in high school was such a... Yeah, I remember conf- that too. Like, conf- it was so bad. And everybody was, you know, talking about it and nobody wanted to listen to anybody else. Yeah. Or the people that did want to listen to other people weren't actually being listened to themselves. And anyway, you know, there's a lot of... There's a lot of tension in America nowadays. And yeah. I wish that there was something that could unify bring us, us together and unify us the way that yeah. we were in the past. Because I think that... You don't have a country a, without a unified people. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of people, especially in America, like a young Americans take for granted a lot of the things that they've grown up with. And I don't think that that's a productive line of thinking at all I think that's a feature I've noticed in general like also going to Israel is I see the benefit and the drawbacks of like growing up in some of these like amazing amazing countries and like historically epic and and unparalleled countries in in the world like America and Israel Mm -hmm. and you go to both and I've lived in both and I see and on the one hand it's such an incredible opportunity to be there and I love so many things about both but on the other hand, you see this lack of context and lack of gratitude uh, for what they have because they think it's a given when it's not. And a lot of these values and things that were imparted onto them, they're not obvious, but they think that those are things that just happen. So I think travel is a is a great experience, but like deep travel, not 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 like right. tourism, but deep right. travel. And well, also talking to other people and understanding where they come from and recognizing, mm-hmm. oh, wait, that's, that's not at all how it's... It, it's not obvious that it would be that way. And also looking at history and seeing what the context of that is. And to your point about, like, the election, I I was not political then at all, but I do remember that, and I remember it being really weird. I remember, you know, waking up the next morning because I had gone to sleep, and I was going to public school at that time, and I woke up the next morning, and my parents told me, like, Trump had won the election. We were like, okay. And then um, I went to school, and I remember there were teachers who didn't show up to school, or there were teachers who ran out of the room crying because he won, and I was like, what world am I living in? Like how, like Mm -hmm. I'm 16 and I'm more fortified than you. Like how fragile are you? Like, and even though 
like, okay, technically if I were old enough, I probably would have voted for Trump because Hillary, like, isn't that great of a friend to Israel and whatever. Mm -hmm. She had more um, corruption issues that were obvious at that time. But, you know, like looking when Joe Biden won, I didn't cry. And it just made me think like, wow, I'm I'm way younger than those teachers where Mm -hmm. I didn't cry. That wasn't somebody who I voted for, but I didn't care. I I still believed in the system and believed in the people. And like the fragility was just pathetic. Like it was something you're just like, it's really disgusting. And you're like, you don't understand. First of all, you don't understand that you're also showcasing contempt and hate for half the country because half the people voted for him Mm -hmm. and so that's also an issue like it's one thing if you were to say oh my god it's a dictator I hate him specifically but you're also very obviously and outwardly showing contempt for your your compatriots and and half half the country half the country like that's that's insane like that's Mm -hmm. so crazy to me and I remember there was my history teacher I really appreciated him he was definitely somebody who voted for Hillary but he's he was saying, and he was a young guy. Shatina, you're right. So yeah, so what I remember him doing was that he sat us down in class that day and he was saying like, oh, um, you know, I, I know a lot of you guys are concerned about the election and I just want to say, you know, my father voted for Trump and he's an amazing person and like we shouldn't, you know, be divided over this and everything's okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I just really appreciated that because it was really tense at the time and I feel like the tensions have only gotten worse and like yeah I to me same thing in Israel like the concern is never the government to me the concern is because I come from uh, uh I, I was raised being always like weary of people in power I think that's an ethic in the in in America and also like in Judaism that you're mm-hmm. weary of people who hold power right. and also just if you're familiar with history at all but um yeah. but yeah it's just like weary of people that hold power to me the issue is always the division between the people because yeah. if you're not united and you don't hold any of the same values then you don't have a country anymore yeah you know well, it's it's really interesting i agree with you i went to when i was in high school i also ended up going to poland and i was in poland for 2 weeks doing a business week program and we were with uh, we were with high school students and we were just basically making our own company or right? going through the finances and the marketing, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I am still in contact with a few of the people I met when I was over there. And Poland is having a lot of the a lot of the similar problems. Like they're oh, having yeah. they're having a problem between two different parties and the old people like one party and the young people like the other party. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the old people are still in charge in Poland and the right. young people want to be in charge. Right. And I just feel like there is there's a lot of division in the world today. There's, you know, especially with politics and and it, it creates such a division in the people. Like, especially if they're blaming each other for the other person winning. And they're, yeah. you know, it's just so much tension in society. And it just doesn't, it doesn't bode well, I don't think, yeah. for the future at all. For sure. But to me, something that gives me hope when I see division is that, first of all, when you, whenever... You always think you're going through such a novel time. Nobody in history possibly mm-hmm. could have understood this. And then you read yeah. historical works and you're like, oh my God, this is literally every exactly. single country yeah. ever, every people ever. If you read about the Zionist movement, they mm-hmm. almost had civil wars multiple times. Like yeah. it's nobody was ever in full total agreement of everything ever, like yeah. different people, different opinions. And it gives you so much perspective and it should give you solace that 
you know, it's not always the end of democracy. Mm -hmm. Like, Poland's going through it, America's going through it, Israel, every single country in the world is having their divisions. They always have. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you just have to build robust enough systems that can handle it and also, you know, figure out a way, whatever, like fight for what you believe in and figure out a way to to forge a positive path forward and also think about the lasting effects of your legacy and what the consequences of your actions are and just get a little more perspective. And I think everyone would be a lot less hysterical. I agree. Um, (laughs) But I think that's the most annoying thing to me is the hystericity of it. Um, But so, so based off of that, I guess I want to ask you that maybe, maybe it's something that's sourced from this, or maybe it's a a general thing that you're noticing, but um, what do you think is like the biggest societal ill? in our society as you see it in american society or just yeah sure like generally okay well i'll go definitely go off on american society um that's a really interesting question um i think that it, it goes along with the lines of division so you have i think you have a lot of people who are trying to uh I think let's talk let's talk about school. Let's talk about the school system because I think that a lot of things stem from problems in the school system. For sure. Yeah. Um because nowadays you have a lot of professors, a lot of teachers talking about, you know, their personal beliefs and they're almost indoctrinating their classes into whatever it is they believe. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that there's a lot of ways that that could be improved. And I think that if anything, school should provide a uh, baseline, you know, a both sides of the argument, both sides of everything um, point of view. So when you graduate from high school, when you're done with that part of your life, you're a pretty general person. You're not, you know, yes, you have your family. Yes, you have the media. Yes, you have all these things that are impacting your uh, opinions, but school shouldn't be a place that is impacting your your opinions at all it should be a place that you're learning exploring and them, exploring yeah. yeah exactly and you feel safe to do so and i feel like school nowadays isn't that type of place and i know a lot of people especially the people that i was with in israel a lot of them went to jewish schools so i don't understand necessarily the private school aspect of it mm-hmm. um but the public school you know public school is very opinionated very biased very opinionated the things that they teach in school, how they choose to do it, is very political. And I don't appreciate that. And I think that really impacts people for the rest of their life because it's such a, a decisive part of your life. Yeah. Um, and yes, you can move on and you can go to schools and, you know, co- universities are going to have, uh, you know, biased opinions as well. But I just wish education was unbiased and you can create your own bias based off of the information they're giving you. And yeah. I felt like I constantly had to research the other side of things when I came home you yeah. know, from yeah. history class, from uh, from like even science, like all these things that you would think <laughs> that literally wouldn't be that are objective, impacted. untarnished yeah, by your bias. But yeah. it's no, but it's all bias. Yeah. And um, and I think it also creates an atmosphere of people not listening to each other. So, you know, yeah. like we were talking about earlier, I think that people are just really selfish and uh, blind to the ideas and desires, thoughts, desires of other people. And I think that we need to change that in education to 
create a place where everybody's learning how to listen to other people, learning how to be a member of a team that isn't, you know, incredibly biased. Or I had a lot of experiences in high school where people would just straight up ignore me because they just didn't want to, like, just didn't want to deal. And I don't think that that's ever a good thing to do to anybody. Yeah, I think that's terrible. I also recognized it happening, like, on one side. Like, in high school, I was really not very political, but I recognized it happening more on one side. Like, I didn't care if people voted for somebody else. Like, I was still friends with them, but I had Mm -hmm. a lot of people, like, once I was old enough to vote and I happened to vote for, like, Trump in the 2020 election, Mm -hmm. then because, like, I'm allowed to think that I want to vote for him and that's okay. And, uh, And I remember I had friends that stopped talking to me or said, like, I was a racist or said that, you know, I want all gay people to die. I was like, what? (laughs) They knew me as a person. And I was so I I was so devastated that like I knew who they voted for the entire time. But this was it it really felt like you had to come out of the closet as like, yeah, what I assume it's like to come out of the closet as gay and coming out of the closet as as conservative and my more liberal, you know, surroundings. And people were really not very accepting which was kind of frustrating because I never judged them for their opinions even though I didn't agree with them and I wholeheartedly listened to everything that they said and really tried to understand their perspective and Mm -hmm. I just didn't feel that that was reciprocated and oftentimes people cut me off because of my opinions and I thought that was um really not fair and people were also very emotional whereas I was coming at it from a much more like a like what are the moral underpinnings of these ideas? Or let's mm, explore these ideas. Let's yeah. battle out the 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 you know quality of the ideas. Not you know you're a terrible person and I hate right. you. It's like I know you're not. I know you're coming from a good place. So yeah, exactly. I found that frustrating. But um, what? So I want to ask you, like on the opposite end of that, what are your what are things that you're witnessing in society right now that you're hopeful about? Mm, I think that there's a lot of people who are young who are fighting back against the way that things are I think that I've heard a lot more about um like we were we were joking the other day like Joe Rogan's podcast is going to create like a a, you know a wave of people who are just kind of crazy and you know love everybody's ideas and like yeah super libertarian yeah they're just like yeah yeah, exactly and uh, you know I I do think that there is a some truth to that not only obviously Joe Rogan but like people in that vein for sure like there's i i i'm very hopeful that there's a lot of young people who are thinking who are seeing what's happening and are questioning the ideas that are being shoved down their throat yeah and you know there there's a lot of people who aren't in these huge liberal cities that don't necessarily have that way of thinking either and so you know i think that there is a lot of hope and there's a lot of perspective that you need to put on things like this because I grew up in Seattle, you grew up in Pittsburgh, like it's, they're very conservative, sorry, very liberal cities, yeah. not conservative, right. very liberal cities, um, very uh, politically uh, charged cities. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of people who just don't live in that type of environment. And yeah. I think it's, it gives me hope that people are you know, outside of those environments are thinking. And even people that I did see in high school, you know, even then, you know, they have their closeted, you know, conservatives, yeah. that, you know, there there are people who yeah. are thinking. It's but just even an overwhelming st- yeah. amount of people who aren't. Exactly. But even still now, like, the the closeted conservative, I feel like that's 
becoming less and less common. And it's also, mm. I don't know, for me, I'm also contrarian by nature. And like, I'm, I don't get, it's, it's hard for somebody to offend me, but uh, I'm a little bit of a contrarian by nature. So if somebody is like telling me an idea, then I'll want to uh, like say, I want to explore the opposite of that idea too. Even if I don't hold it, I'm not right. saying like I hold this opinion. It's just like, oh, that's interesting. But also let's look at it from the other side and try right. and understand that and maybe grant credence to that argument. And mm-hmm. I think when I took debate, that was also such an, a beautiful exercise. And I loved that, mm-hmm. that, uh, that um, experience because it was people who held views on all sides of the political spectrum. And you came and you all had to battle out ideas on ideas that weren't even yours Mm -hmm. and nobody was emotional everybody was I was like this is how it should be this is the ideal for me okay I'm more of a conservative okay fine who cares like I also grant credence to other claims and I had to argue those claims because they they set it up that you want to win so you're not going to you're not going to you know you're not going to straw man the argument and say like well it's like as if I think you know this you're going to say like no this is why I'm right and it makes more sense to think this way and you're able to see the counterclaims and for me that's that's beautiful and that's exactly how ideas should be battled out and then the best idea wins and Mm -hmm. at the end of it sometimes my opinion would be changed or you know I would end up getting better arguments to my ideas and I just, um, I I also agree with you. Like, I think people are moving away from mainstream media because they have nothing to say and they're moving more to people who are much more nuanced and open-minded and interesting. Like, that's why I so appreciate Joe Rogan. Like, I'm I'm not one of his bros. Like, I'm not diehard. I have some issues with him. Like, he's not my favorite, but I really love him as a person. I appreciate what he's doing. I think it's invaluable and he's bringing nuance and open-mindedness to the Mm. conversation. You could tell there's a craving for that. That's a reason he's the most popular podcaster. And for me, that also gives me great hope. Lex Friedman Mm -hmm. also grew in like over a million subscribers in a couple months because people want that nuance, the both sides, you know, and it doesn't really, but also you're allowed to have your ideas. You're allowed to be more liberal. You're allowed to be more conservative. That's Mm -hmm. fine. Just let's also just be human and talk about it and be adults. And I also get hope from that it's exciting yeah yeah and I want to uh now pivot a little more and ask you about um religion ah yes all right so your mom grew up catholic your dad grew up LDS Mormon Mm -hmm. so first of all I think people are more familiar with Catholicism but what is LDS what is Mormonism Mm -hmm. and uh also where do you see yourself right um it's really (laughs) I should say, just for everybody listening, I'm not a, I I did not grow up LDS. I don't have a very deep understanding of what it is they believe, but I do have a large amount of my family who is LDS. And generally, they they have shifted in previous years away from saying Mormon. They don't like that because there's a lot of connotations and stereotypes that are uh, invoked by saying that. So I'm just going to say LDS. So and let's just say, I'll explain what that means. The church is called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, and a, a very large uh, part of their theological belief is Jesus, as you can imagine from the name of their church. Um, they believe in him as the savior. They believe um, that he, uh, you know, his word and the things that he said in the bible in addition to their book of mormon are 
uh, really uh, important things. You know, it's the basis of their church. That's that is what they read and what they practice. They mm-hmm. practice kindness to everybody on earth. They uh, believe that everybody uh, that Jesus is everybody's savior and that he can guide you on a path to uh, being a better person and being a kinder person, just leading you in those moral uh, moral ways. Um, they also believe in life after death and the belief of uh, associating, being, a, being associated with uh, Jesus, uh, being baptized in the church and accepting him and uh, living their lives in accordance to the things in the Book of Mormon and in the Bible that after life you will be able to live in eternity with your family in heaven or a version of heaven that's very specific to their church. Um, They believe a lot in missionary work, which is why you hear about Mormon missionaries. Um, A lot of my cousins and a lot of the people I know here in Utah have been on missions. It's a very common thing for people to do. They go for, I can't remember how long it is. I think it's a little bit less than two years. I want to say 18 months for women, maybe, and two years for men. Um, And they are picked at random to go to a specific country and to live in the church in that area and then uh, go around in their immediate community and talk to people about Jesus Christ and to give them the opportunity to uh, uh, hear about what the LDS church is doing. Um, And they have a very large presence uh, around the world. I think I heard recently that they actually have more members worldwide outside of America than they do in America, um, which is really interesting. It goes to show that their missionary (laughs) work is really working. Yeah, they're working hard. Um, and so, yeah, they are a Christian denomination. Um, and they are definitely a very different Christian denomination from a lot of the other, you know, pre-existing things. Um, they believe in a prophet, a living prophet. So in, I think, 1820, there was a man, uh, a young boy, actually, I think he was 14 or something like that. And he, uh... Uh, his name is Joseph Smith, and he was talking to God through prayer and asked God for help. And then uh, in the Book of Mormon, it talks about how God spoke back and God said, you know, hey, don't don't go to any of these other churches. You need to create your own. And that's exactly what he ended up doing. He created the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so he was the first living prophet and the um, person to believe that is believed to be able to talk to God as a living person. Mm -hmm. And And they still have one now. And they still have Mm -hmm. one now. And so ever since then, they created a very symbolic uh, leadership organization. They have Mm -hmm. the 12 apostles, I believe, which kind of act as the executive leadership underneath the prophet. Um, And I believe once the prophet dies, somebody is... Uh, I guess you could say promoted <laughs> to being prophet from those 12 apostles. Okay. Um, and the prophet is said to be able to talk with the Lord and to be able to uh, guide the church in whatever 
uh, time they're living. Um, and so they have a very specific uh, way of worship. You know, they have churches. In addition to churches, they also have temples, which is more of the ritualistic, symbolic uh, building that they have that only certain people are allowed to go in. You either have to be married or you have to have gone on a mission, I believe. Mm, um, and mm. people, when they get married, they get sealed. It's what that that's called. They get sealed in the temple. Um, obviously, you know, there are people who don't do that who are LDS, but the most ideal way to get married is to get sealed in the temple. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole process uh, that goes on. It's very secretive, um, or at least it seems secretive to somebody who is an LDS. Um, and it's it's a it's a very uh, ritualistic thing um, that's important to their church. Um, their children get baptized when they're about 13, I believe. So if they don't believe in baptism at birth, um, the way the Catholic it's church... It's like a bar mitzvah. You have to choose Exactly, it yeah. And again, you know, is there so much choice in it? You know, who who knows? At, at 13, it depends on the kid, I'm sure, mm-hmm. um, and the family. But uh, that's something that they do. It's That's something that they do at their um church i believe it's not yeah. done at the temple it's done at the church mm-hmm. and i've been to i don't think i've been to a baptism um but i've been to a blessing and so after a child is born similarly to the time period in which you do a baptism in the catholic church you do a blessing in the lds church and so i've been to a blessing for some of my cousins um and yeah and that's kind of like a general overview of you know my understanding of what they believe no that's solid Um, that's solid i i want to ask you because you are pretty unique in the fact that you lds is like less common in america mm -hmm. and you're kind of like in the epicenter of it so i want to but you also grew up more so catholic with catholic influences but you also lived in israel and got to like experience the epicenter of judaism what that's like more so american jury because that's who you were associating with but you were amongst israelis as well Mm -hmm. so i want to ask you like from your perspective as you see it and it's totally valid because it's your perspective and you can say whatever you want (laughs) but i want to know what do you feel are the biggest like pros and cons of each of these uh religious expressions yeah that's a super interesting question again because so you have let's let's just talk about christianity for a second and then i guess we can compare christianity to my experience with judaism okay yeah um between catholic and lds there's a ton of differences you know a big one that we were talking about just the other day was that in catholicism if you don't believe in a single part of the doctrine for the church you are not considered catholic right, right so you know you believe that when you bless the host at church uh that it actually becomes the body of christ like the wafer that the they wafer. give you yeah right. exactly um and if you don't believe in any part of that then you're not considered a catholic and so it's it's a very um specific way of thinking and you have to really subscribe, subscribe or you're not part or of you're it. not part of it yeah, yeah. exactly um and with the LDS faith, I have no idea if it's the same way. I would, I think I'd tend to say yes. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of the Christian denominations are like that. They're not like, oh, you know, whatever. You, know, you, you do can, you, girlfriend. Yeah, you do you. Yeah, no, exactly. It's very specific because there's so little 
there's so many denominations of Christianity and there's so little between all of them. And it, and you have to like, your identity as a church is based off of those uh, little, those little differences. differences. So that's exactly. why they matter so much. That's why uh, they matter so much. Um, that's such a good point. Yeah. yeah thank you. <laughs> yeah. And so it's, it matters a lot. Um, and I think that the, I think that generally you could say that if you're Christian, you come out as a pretty solid person. Like you're not, you're not, you have the morals that are from the Bible and from the Old Testament. Um, and you come out as a very, uh, as somebody who has a lot of values that re- are revolve around kindness and selflessness and being, um, being a team player and wanting to help others. There definitely is a darker side of it where you're so held up on exactly what it says in the Bible that you, um, push down other people. You're, you're, you don't, you're not kind. You're, you're have a lot of hatred in your heart for people who don't live the way that the Bible says you should. Because they're damning exactly, you exactly. and themselves, right? Yeah, and so those are the people that you see screaming at people on the streets, etc., etc. There's a lot of people who are very, um, uh, like, cliche, like, it's a cliche, cliche you know, stereotype of, of a, you know, the angry Christian who, you know, thinks that you're going to go to hell because you, you know, did such and such. Um, and that's definitely a thing that's a very negative side of it I would say um and I think that exists in every denomination of Christianity including uh Catholicism and the LDS church um and I don't think that goes along with what either church actually teaches but it's it's more a, of a social byproduct yeah. of what is taught right because mm-hmm. you're they're saying ah no you have to be exactly like this and the byproduct of that is people who aren't exactly like that are ruining, you know, your salvation. The, yeah, exactly. The not necessarily your salvation, but like the idea of like it's like how you see somebody doing something that you think is stupid, and you're like, how could you be so stupid to do that? And you start you get keep, like keep on progressing more and more into saying more and more hurtful things mm-hmm. because you're angry and like you just there's just something that says you know. I need to be mean to this person and it's so interesting because it goes completely opposite to what actually is taught in christianity because mm-hmm. the entire idea of what jesus said was talking about kindness and uh sacrificing what you have for other people and being kind and just loving each other as who you are um but also trying to uplift each other to be a better person and um, valuing justice and, yeah, yeah exactly um and i you know, I definitely was around a lot of Judaism, a lot more Judaism than I ever was when I was younger, when I was in Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely knew people who were Jewish. A lot of the people I grew up around were very secular, um, right. which I now realize was secular. I thought that they were like, you know, religious, Jewish, like yeah. very religious. Yeah. Um, but they, they, anyway, but so going back to comparing Christianity to Judaism, um, I think that there's a lot more there's a lot more freedom in Judaism in what exactly you think and how when you read the Torah or you read any of the texts, like how you personally um, interpret them, interpret them, which yeah. I was very different from uh, Christianity. And I think that that makes people I think there are definitely still a lot of people 
within Judaism who are very like rah rah this is what I think Mm -hmm. and you know I'm right type of situation Um, but there's a lot more people I would find that are very open-minded because they're very used to saying you know this is what I believe this is what my rabbi taught me this is you know how I dress how I do things and you know I'm okay with you doing something completely different and you you know, not observing certain things or observing things that I don't observe myself. And I think that there's a lot of value in creating an environment like that. And everybody, everybody needed to learn exactly what they thought themselves and they, but they also needed to be okay with other people doing something different within their own religion, which I thought was really very different from Christianity. Yeah, for sure. Um, Christianity, I think probably makes you wants everybody to be the same they want everybody to hold up the same ideals in a perfect world and judaism seems to be more okay with a little bit of ambiguity in how people exactly do everything that they say mm-hmm. they're supposed to in the torah and everything yeah so that's you know and i would say i don't see any difference in the type of people that are created honestly like i think that i think that majority both Christianity and Judaism create generally good people mm-hmm. and I think that you're always going to have a bit of like a few bad eggs and everything for sure that for some reason kind of twist what's been taught them to taught to them in a negative way and mm-hmm. that ends up in negatively impacting everybody around them right um I think and it that, gives people a bad perception of their faith yeah right exactly and I think that uh, yeah and I think that there's a lot bigger of a difference between people who aren't religious versus who are religious yeah that that is it that's more of a like you can definitely see a different type of person being created Mm -hmm. from a non-religious background versus a religious background and i would say generally it's the same type of person being created in both christianity and judaism from a lot of the moral standpoints because Mm -hmm. i guess the basis for both of the religions is you know the the Bible. Yeah, <laughs> like, it, like it is it is very similar. Um, and so you're creating a very similar type of person. Right. If I think maybe the only difference would be that in a lot of the American Jews that I met, um, they were from communities that were a little bit more closed off and uh, uh, like they were only hanging around people in their community. And I think that and just big from a Jewish community. Yeah, exactly. So it's like a specific type of person exactly. coming out. Yeah. Yeah. So you have like a, it's more of a social difference. I don't think it has anything to do with religion, but I feel like um, there is like a little bit of a social difference in between. I've, some of the Americans, Jews I met seem to be like a bit, um, a bit hesitant. Like they didn't necessarily know kind of what to do with me. Like they'd never been around somebody like me before. And, it was a bit hard for them to understand like why I was in Israel and why you know why everything and so because they'd come from communities where they weren't around a ton of Christians like they you know they didn't hang out with Christians for fun like in high school they hung out with people from their Jewish school and you know that was great and so I think maybe socially there's a bit of a difference because Christians yeah you're around a bunch of Christians but at least in my experience I was around people of like a ton of different faiths like right, you, you right. know hindi buddhist muslim you know everybody was at my school and so i had a little bit more of a perspective on all of those differences right right but right yeah that's my opinion super fair wow so 
I remember, um, I want to talk to you a little bit about, like, feeling maybe a little religiously homeless or denominationally homeless. Because mm. I know you feel that way sometimes, and I think it goes back to something that you said to me, which really, um, I, I, I thought you, you said it so succinctly, so perfectly. We were on a walk looking at the Utah mountains, and it was hard to breathe, and my head was foggy because of the altitude, but you still said something great that I remember. You said that um, that there are different types of loneliness that people feel, and I thought that that was, that, that that's what it was. Like, you just really hit the nail on the head that there are different types of loneliness that humans experience, and I think, like, in the past, I've been kind of weary of speaking about loneliness and I think everybody is like people don't really speak about it even though it's it seems to me it's actually a fundamental uh feature of the human experience so it's weird that people feel strange talking about it maybe because it seems like you're lame or something if you feel Mm -hmm. lonely but um I think it's actually really important to talk about because it's how everyone feels sometimes and so like when you I, I think you're saying like that there are different types of loneliness I think that was that was totally hitting the nail on the head so how do you deal with different forms of loneliness and I'm assuming that this uh as well this like kind of religious denominational uh uh, uh, homelessness is is a is a type of the Mm -hmm. loneliness as well so how do you deal with that I think that it definitely depends on the situation um there's a lot of you know there's a lot of different types of loneliness right so you know we're talking about uh, loneliness in regards to faith and then loneliness in regards to you know friends and love and like all this like family missing your family and like mm-hmm. and the reason that I brought it up the, in the conversation was I was talking about my experience in Israel and how one of the biggest things I took away from my time in Israel was how to identify the type of lonely I was feeling yeah. and it was a really interesting experience from a religious t- standpoint as well because as as people were uh, asking me about my faith and were trying to understand, I also was going through a transformation of my beliefs because people would be saying, you know, oh, you believe in this and this. And, and then I'd be like, well, I don't know. Nobody's ever asked me if I believe in this and mm-hmm, this. Mm-hmm. And then it makes you question, right? And so, yeah. And I think that a great way to deal with it is to I write a lot. That's my, that's kind of my outlet. Um, I, I've always loved writing stories, but also just writing anything <laughs> my entire life. And so that's been something that I, some way for me to deal with it. But just at a larger level, I think that it's helpful to figure out exactly what you believe, exactly why you're feeling that way. If you're, you know, if I was Catholic growing up, why am I feeling lonely now? What is the difference between mm-hmm. now and then? Yeah. And like, what is what was that tipping point? And then understanding that, you know, makes you feel a little bit better because you're, you know, you understand where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, it, just exploring that, you know, talking about it with people, uh, writing about it, being, just trying to understand what your mind's doing and why it's thinking the way it is. And, it's you know just remembering that it's all coming from a very specific cause so you know I when I was in Israel I tried to uh 
you know, get back into being more religious um, in the ways that I know how. And then it didn't quite feel right. And then I went to something else. You know, I started going to shul and I was like, okay, you know, this is this is interesting. I still don't feel quite right. Um, you know, what's what's missing here? And then it's just like this ever changing process. And I think part of it, one of my friends in Israel said it very well is you don't have to fit in with anything you like religion is a journey you don't need to feel the need to like latch on to one thing just because you're feeling lonely you you have to almost be okay with exploring your loneliness and not making like really rushed or uh uh you know just rushed decisions right and um yeah, and it was it was a very helpful thing to say because I had never not belonged to something. I never felt like I didn't belong. And so it was good to be reminded that you don't need to belong, that it's okay to just explore and be okay with the act of exploring. So. Yeah, for sure. And ultimately, you know, everyone is alone like in, in the most real way, everyone's alone, that, you know, you're going to die alone. You, you are, you, you have all these attachments to people and they're the most beautiful, amazing things and they make life worth it. Like they make everything wonderful and our collective like intelligence and our collective creativity is something I'm so grateful to be a part of. But ultimately, yeah, like when you go to sleep, you're in the quiet of your own mind, you recognize you're, that you're alone and, and, that's why I think it's really helpful to believe in God because you, mm-hmm. maybe it's still getting away from that loneliness. Maybe it's, you know, a trick of our minds or maybe it's disingenuous, but, right. um, but you still feel that you're putting something above yourself and there's ultimately like in the quiet of your mind when you're alone going to sleep and then you are able to talk to God. I think that that is really centering and all the other noise outside of that, like ultimately talking to God, that's the, that's the point. Like that's the one source that you're supposed to be connecting to. And if you do it in different expressions, that's okay. Mm-hmm. But ultimately like that's the most real thing. And of course you're, I, I think it's also just a feature of these communities as well, that you're never going to quite feel totally understood completely because you right. never will be. And right. there's only one being that actually understands you fully. And it's not even you. <laughs> like you don't even understand your infinite depth. And so even within yourself, you could feel lonely and you're like, I don't get why I'm doing this or why do I even feel this way? And you can't actually comprehend everything. And it's it's just a feature of being a human. Like you're lonely within yourself. You're lonely within your peers, within your family because of your individuality. And I think, mm-hmm. as you were saying before, like in high school, you actually embraced those things. And I think I did too. Like we're both a little bit more contrarian by nature and you actually lean into those things. And that's where you find how you uniquely contribute to the world aside from you know socially yeah we fit in in a lot of ways but also embracing those specific things and seeing how you can uniquely contribute and I think it's okay to you know I I like what I like what you said about the person in Israel what they told you that like you just gotta get comfortable with that loneliness and explore it together with God and that will be the adventure of your life you know yeah exactly there's always more to explore there's always more to question and to understand so I I thought that it was very helpful. I love that. And um, so kind of in closing, I want to ask you, do you have a question for my next guest? I do. I want to know if, well, I think a lot of them are going to live in Israel, but if they don't, 
where where would you want to live? Like if if you uh, if you could live anywhere, would you still live where you are right now? And if so, why? If not, where would you want to live? And like, what was what is the reason that it's drawing you there, et cetera, et cetera? Amazing. I love that question. I like it because it's uh, it's it's much more pragmatic, but also a little bit digging into like the why. Mm -hmm. But people have been asking like really big questions, which are amazing too. But I like sometimes I like the simplicity as well yeah. of that, and that's that's also really meaningful. Like, where would you choose to live? Is is uh, really influences you and like forms your life. So I love that yes. question. Um, thank you so much, Kat. Yes, I'm so happy to be here with you. Yeah, me too. This was such a good time for me and such a good experience. And um, I want to thank you so much for sharing your beautiful soul with me and our listeners. You're listening to Audioversity. Have a blessed day. The Wandering Jew Podcast. Exploring beautiful humans, thoughts, and experiences with Naomi Edelman. All our shows and podcasts available online on our website and on all podcast platforms. Search Audioversity. Clubhouse.